You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors, giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org donate to make a gift. Thank you so much. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Uh, greetings, everyone. A welcome to our time together, turning for guidance to the Christian mystic St. John of the Cross. Um, in, in preparing uh, for today's session, it, it, it kind of dawned on me to kind of share with you what I hope will be a way to help you to recognize the ways that these teachings of John of the Cross pertain to you personally. That is, he's clearly uh, speaking of a passage through a dark night uh, in the lofty depths that open out upon mystical union with God. But what's important is to see that those lofty depths of union with God and the flowering of mystical consciousness. That mystical union is present uh, in all the stages and phases and aspects of our daily life. And so uh, I want to share with you a meditation uh, to hopefully help you to see how this poetic metaphor of the dark night is a way of putting words to something that you've experienced or something that you're experiencing now like the transformative power of the dark night uh, being transformed into deeper states of, of uh, unitive, habitual love, really. And uh, so I hope this helps. Uh, this is a kind of a first draft. This just came to me and needs some more work, I guess. But I, I trust it's together enough, like a contemplative spiritual direction here that will help you kind of tune in to see how this pertains to you and, and you, in the midst of your daily situation, whatever it might be. Um, and so I want to start first again by going back to some imagery um, that we started with Thomas Merton on this contemplative worldview. And we started with this imagery of um, imagine you're wading along the ocean shore ankle deep. It's true you're just ankle deep, but it's also true you're in the ocean. And it's also true if you just head out to deeper water, uh, it'll get plenty deep soon enough. And in terms of ego consciousness, that deepening as you keep swimming out and the, the, the water beneath you is getting deeper and deeper, that depth is a measurable depth. So you're moving in incrementally increasing depths of from one feet to two feet to 20 feet to 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet, deep, deeper, deeper, deeper. It's a measurable depth, quantifiable, measurable depth, which is the experience in ego consciousness. We might say then at a more interior level, but what if 
the ocean in its hidden center, seeing the ocean here as a metaphor for God, the presence of God. But what if the ocean in its hidden center is infinitely deep? And what if the, the ocean is infinitely giving the infinite depths of itself away, whole and complete, in and as each incremental degree of entrance into it? That is, it may be true at the level of ego consciousness, in measurable objective terms, you're just angled deep. But in the terms of grace, in terms of the fullness of God's presence in our life, you're, you're in water way over your head, for you're in the plenitude of the infinite love of God pouring itself out and giving to you completely in and as that most shallow beginning level of your entry into the ocean. So our situation then is that we're living in incremental degrees of realization of infinite generosity of God, pouring itself out and giving itself away, whole and complete in the, in the very least first stirrings of the awareness of the love of God, the presence of God in our life, the, the plenitude already perfectly all about us and within us. Uh, there's a, a poem uh, by Barbara Lutz. Uh, was on my table where I was giving a retreat years ago. And here she's referring, when she speaks of her, uh, she's referring to her soul. Uh, it, she says, It takes almost nothing to move her, a soft agitation in the rain, an ant going by, knowing where it is going. That is, suddenly you can be blindsided by a kind of quiet amazement of the miracle of some simple thing, the ant going by, the agitation in the rain, the, the stirring of, of the wind blowing the curtain, the shadow, a slant of light across the floor, a sleeping infant, the palms of your own hands, the smell of a rose. There are these moments where we're quickened for Thomas Burton turning to see a flock of birds descending. We get, we get even at the most rudimentary level a sense that we're already in the immensity of an overwhelming depth of presence manifested in this. The poet St. John uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins in, in the, of Inscape, following Dun Scotus, talks about seeing then the stature of God or the presence of God in a single leaf. Um, in, in, the, in the concreteness of a configuration of stones, and your your heart, your interior heart recognizes and senses something like that. See the holiness of that. And we might say, in these in these moments, in these moments, and however they might come to us, the dark night. Then the poetic imagery of the dark night has a twofold aspect. First, the dark night is that um, our finite eyes are blinded by the unexpected nearness and immensity of, this, of these awakenings. That is, um, uh, we know not what to make of it. We know not what to make of it. Um, and um, another aspect of the dark night then, this imagery for John of the Cross, is that when we compare 
the quality of our consciousness in the moments of such awakenings to the day-by-day living of our life in, ten, in which we tend to be not to be aware of that ever-present depth. We see that tendency not to be aware is a night to us. Like we're living, we tend to live in a kind of a darkness and being exiled from this generosity of God uh, being poured out in this incomprehensible stature of simple things, standing up and sitting down, looking out the window, whatever it is. That is, we this idea of skimming over, skimming over the depths of our own life. And what's regrettable in this depth deprivation is that God's unexplainable oneness with us is hidden in the depths over which we're skimming. And um, uh, so uh, th- th- this is the poetic image then. This is the poetic imagery. It's, and I think a lot of the teachings of the mystics is very similar to doing deep therapy work in a lot of ways. Because what we're really doing is slowing down to calibrate our heart to be very patient about subtle and delicate matters that we're not used to paying attention to. Is we're not kind of on our way to some hope for um, uh, flowering of something. I mean, we are. But the sadness is we don't realize that the flowering or the fullness we're looking for is unexplainably giving itself to us in the simplicity of the unawareness in which we're awakened. And this is what we're trying to do here. We're trying to find our way to this luminosity we cannot comprehend. And then seeing exiled from the luminosity given to us in the earth and the beloved and a child and the passage of time, the sun moving across the sky. This is our sorrow. This is our estrangement from which we're trying to be healed. And and so I want to look at this then in terms of married love. Because for St. John of the Cross, because he's one of the Christian mystics, these nuptial mystics, where they see romantic sexual marital love as the primary metaphor for mystical consciousness, as we see in the Song of Songs in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. And uh, we also see this nuptial path, this love path. There's parallels to this in the Hindu tradition in Bhakti, Yoga the Bhagavad Gita, this, this love path, this devotional love, and also in, um, in Islam in the Sufi path of love of the poetry of Rumi and of Hafsiz, this love. So this is this, this love path of nuptial um, mysticism, seeing marriage as a sacrament of that, or as a context in which it can be realized. And so I, I encourage you, though, to see that what I'm about to say here about the presence of the dark night and the ordinariness of things as a path that opens out upon the loftiness that John of the Cross is inviting us to find our way to. It's already somehow present. To see that what I'm saying here is marriage, we could do this, I could make these very same points about being a parent, about parenting. Or I could make the very same points about uh, being a teacher if you, in terms of being devoted to the students, out of love for the students you give yourself in love to the teaching task. Or if you're uh, 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 in the healing professions, in the art of healing, or in your own healing, say through 12-step sobriety, or the healing of trauma, or living alone, or being old, or tending to a dying, 
of a dying loved one. Um, the, the, these are all modalities in which this transformative power of the dark night of love, that is, it's the love that blinds us and being unable to grasp it. And yet at the same time, it illumines um, the darkness of our life without it, motivating us to lean in deeper in this, this kind of way of living our life, a kind of a sensibility to the transformative call of love in the midst of our present situation. So that's what it means then to be a seeker. To be a seeker is to be someone for whom a grace is engendered a riddle. The grace is that it arises of itself, the quickening of the awakening unexpected. And the riddle is we know not what to make of it. We know not what to make of it. We can't explain it, but we realize we're in the immediacy of the intimacy of being overtaken by the unexplainable in the utters such a simple thing as smelling a flower or lying awake at night or um, tending the rose, I mean, whatever it, whatever the simple act is. And, um, and so in that, in that sense then, um, I'd like to uh, look at this then in terms of married love. Is for this is that so first of all um, imagine two people they meet they spend time together they're attracted to each other and as that process goes on uh, they begin to realize they're falling in love with each other and the new newly emerging awareness that they're falling in love with each other is a dark night to them in the luminous sense, in which they know not what to make of it. See, they, can't, they, can't, they, they can tell that it's happening, but they can't explain what's happening to them. It's, it's like wondrous unto them. And also, they're able to see, when they look at this newly emerging fullness of love that's coming into their life, that their life before the emergence of this love was a darkness. It was a darkness compared to the light in which they're now newly being introduced. What's also mysterious is that in that unawareness that they, they, were, they weren't aware they were going to meet each other. Here the unfolding of that love was already hidden like a seed, unbeknownst to them. And in the circuitous ways of life, all of a sudden it blossomed and like there it is. It's so the mysterious, like the arising of these awakenings from places unseen. And also, uh, I, I think, a certain solicitude then to, to be watchful for this love, to watch over it, uh, to be protective of it, to be grateful for it. And, um, and, um, uh, and also watchful in that they're aware there's no promises here. Uh, St. John of the Cross talks about everything fails like falling water. That, that There's no promises here. The fact you're falling in love doesn't mean you're locked in. To the contrary, there's a long road ahead. And so the dark night comes to them as seeing the fragility of this, of how terrible it would be if this got lost. And if we're not careful, it, it might get lost, because sometimes it does get lost. It reappears somewhere else in another way. But with us right here, 
in the mystery and depth and beauty of this, we could we could lose this. And uh, which is the night unto them, which energizes their solicitude, their watchfulness over it. And so St. John of the Cross says, this is what happens when you newly start emerging and being led beyond discursive meditation and the three signs of prayer and a, you, uh, and a general loving awareness. He says the first, the, this communion, this wordless communion beyond thought and words and emotions is so delicate at first you don't even notice that it's there. But, but, if you, but if you stay there and rest in it and let it have its way with you, you begin to see the richness of its unexplainable simplicity and you have solicitude over it, like you're motivated by love to be watchful over this emergence of this unexplainable love, a kind of interior fidelity. Next, um, let's say then these two people um, this deepens, 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 and they get married. But what does marriage mean here interiorly? See, by the time they, they have the, the, the marriage ceremony, they're, they're sacramentally celebrating the marriage that already is there. That is, there's a certain point where they cross over. And it isn't just that they know whatever the future holds, uh, they want to be sure that the future holds their presence to each other in that future, come what may. Um, but somehow the, 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 the oneness has somehow already occurred. Like it's already, it's like an interior fact of their awakened heart that they're married. That they, it might have come to them all of a sudden, maybe slowly like water filling the marshlands. But there is this realized oneness between them like this. And... Um, um, so the vow that then ex expresses that, I just thinking about this, since my wife died a year ago, I have memento pictures in the living room of her and us. And, and here's the typed, actual typed thing that we held in our hands, that our vows that we said to each other uh, 30 years ago. I'll read it to you. This was at the retreat house where she was a spiritual director and her friends were there, my friends were there, my children. Anyway, it was lovely, one of those lovely moments. I'll read my thing. She, I handed it to her and she read it. I, James Finley, take you, Maureen Fox, to be my wife from this day forward, to love, cherish, and care for till death do us part. I vow to you my honesty and vulnerability day by day, walking our walk into all our unknown tomorrows. I know that to grow we must continue dying, and it is you I choose to live and die with, head to head, toe to toe, soul to soul, this day and forever. You are truly my best friend, lover, and soulmate, the one through whom God calls me to be my true self. This day I vow to accept this call. And I heard her return the same. I would say this moment, this luminous moment, in the presence of the community is a dark night unto them because, see, it's all into all our unknown tomorrows. See, how can we vow a oneness and unforeseeability, especially knowing that sometimes those who make the vow, it doesn't work. So what is the spiritual truth of the vow in which we're in water over our head, a kind of an, a fidelity, of love that transcends the unfolding and the outcomes of what the future might bring, like this. 
and then they go home to live out that vow uh, day by day by day. And this is how St. John of the Cross describes uh, this path or discursive meditation leads into this deepening of a perpetual surrender to this communion with God, where it's, it's a process of learning to die or to let go of or to pass, pass beyond all the ways that were attached to anything less than an infinite union with the infinite love of God as the sole source of our security and identity. It's, it's tremulous. It's, it's something that we lean into in our fragility to live up to it. But in our inability to live up to it, it sustains us in our inability to live up to it and transforms us and leads us ever deeper into itself in unforeseeable ways, such as, such as this marital love. And such as the marital love is a sacrament of God's love for us and the unfolding of this emergence of this contemplative communion with God in our daily life. Next, as the months and the years go by, uh, things happen. Uh, there's unexpected stress, unexpected mishaps, unexpected uh, pressure, the, the, the terrible thought of getting used to each other or taking each other for granted. And what they start to discover uh, is that a shadow is falling across the luminosity of their love for each other. For they each brought into the marriage habits of the mind and heart formed in past traumas and abandonments, great and small, that they act out on each other as uh, the withholding of intimacy, um, as uh, attempts to control the other person, as being insensitive to uh, what the beloved most needs you to be sensitive and responsible to, uh, jealousies, um, becoming too busy that you don't have time to set everything aside, to have time for no agenda, but just to love and be loved by each other. It's this litany of the, comp of the compromising of the gift of love. And this is a dark night to them because they can both feel it's happening. They don't want it to happen. They don't want it. Isn't that they decide one morning to start chiseling away at the love that we committed ourselves to? It just starts um, chipping away and eroding away out of the fragility of our lives, just as human beings. And they see it's a dark night unto them. It's also a dark night in that they're called to the luminous dark night of perpetual commitment to being vulnerable over and over and over and over again. You know, there's a form of marital therapy called logotherapy in which the two people sit down and each shares with the other, uh, each says to the, tells the other what they would like more of or less of in order to feel loved in the marriage the way they need to be loved. And in the mutual vulnerability of doing love's work, of returning again and again, of kind of refining the, the edges of love and being patient with each other and at the same time calling each other on, um, on love's path, on what love is asking out of them. And what we discover, this is a, a dark night, because easier said than done, because we're attached to these patterns. 
and sometimes the patterns are act actually compromising the love for the partner as acting out the compromised love for ourself. That we're exiled from the partner because we're exiled from ourself. We're distant from the partner because we're distant from ourself. And so it's a call to perpetual uh, exodus beyond that which compromises love and union and oneness with the gift of our body, our mind, our life, the body, the mind, and the life of the beloved, and how they each foster the patterns of loving communion with each other, each unto each. And um, St. John of the Cross in the Dark Night, the second book following the Ascent, he devotes some time to these compromises of love for those who have not yet gone through the dark night. And uh, they're kind of in devotional sincerity, discursive meditation. And he runs through this litany of subtle faults that compromise the purity of love. For example, he says people in their devotional sincerity in their Christian life can be subject to a certain kind of pride where they start to feel or sense that they're holier than other people. Or sometimes they get jealous because they see other people seem to be holier than they are. Or if someone, the person they're going to for spiritual direction criticizes them or judges anything in any way, they tend to think that their director isn't deep enough or profound enough to realize how holy they are, and so on. So he points out these subtle infidelities. And because the purer the love, the more... Um, a con the more important it is for us not to passively be in collusion with the compromises of love. And uh, it's a work of simplicity and vulnerability, and it's a down-to-earth, messy, day-by-day, -day transformative um, yielding to um, love's call in our life. And lastly, in their years together, if they are fortunate enough to... Uh, find their way along the circuitous path and find their way into a great depth of love and uh, in which the whole things become ever more completely unexplainable and ever more amazing and that they've been broken open by love over and over and rendered whole in the brokenness by being unable to live on their own terms and one with each other to live by love's terms then in that path is the fragility of death itself. To, with you, we must live and die. And so then the night is the death of the beloved. Sometimes people love each other much, they both die together in a crash or something that happens. But typically not. They typically one goes first, and then the other faces a new night. And so the new night is this unexplainable pain of the, of the absence of the present, the familiarity of the simple rituals with each other, like this. But if they don't panic, if they don't panic in that, they see that that night is, is a luminous dark night, and with the deathless presence of the beloved is unexplainably one with them. It's true they're no longer one with each other in being one with each other in love um, on the earthly plane. But now they are one with each other in love, for the one left is still on the earthly plane, the one has crossed over into love of God. And in the love of God, um, they are uh, one, explainably one with each other, like this, which is the path of the one that's left as a path in which there's yet more unfoldings of love and the mystery of love.
and uh, the gift of that until then that person dies. That's how it works. They were on this earth for a very short time for really to learn how to love. And uh, so God, who is love, breathes us forth to live a life to learn to love. And in God's own time, uh, God, who breathes us forth and emerging into this world as a person on the path, God inhales and takes us home. Uh, and the circle completes itself in love. And so what happens here, I think, for John of the Cross is this, I think is that when two people are walking this path, it, it is inherently holy, it is inherently divine, because God is love, and wherever there's love, there's God. That if their life together is illumined by faith, they're able to see how God's love for them is the love that led them to each other. God's love for them sustains us with each other, and it is out of their love for each other they each deepen their own union with God. So their life of prayer becomes a, a kind of a, a circularity of a oneness with their life of love with each other. Sometimes not both, both people aren't. They, they're, they're, they don't experience it that way. They're not illumined by the gift of faith. They, they live God's love anonymously by the integrity and power and beauty of their love. And sometimes the one who lives it by faith, they can see um, this uh, incarnate infinity, they can see the incarnational quality of their married love for and with each other. There's another piece of this that's also true, that at any point along the way, from the very earliest beginnings of their love, from the very first moment, uh, that there can be flashes of mystical oneness can unexpectedly break forth in them in a kiss, an embrace, laughing together, taking a walk, doing the chores, whatever. It comes as it comes, it flashes forth, and they sense it. But in sensing it, they can't live there. But having sensed it, they know that it's there. And now that they see that it's there, the love in them seeks to move towards being habituated in that flash of oneness that was granted to them. And that's how they're lured along the path. They live, we go along the path and we learn. And so this is true, I think, of, all, of these ways of love, when a deep commitment to a path, uh, it can be being married, it can be living alone, it can be being a parent, it can be a life of solitude, it can be a life of oneness with the earth, it can be a commitment to healing, whatever the modality is, in which the dark night becomes the operative metaphor of a light that blinds our finite eyes, but in accessing us, having tasted it, we know we're incomplete without it. And then that light that visited us and met us where we are, then leads us forth to meet us into this deeper realm of love. And I, I get the feeling, for me at least, seeing things this way helps me to see, help us see what John of the Cross is talking about. See that I, I think really, if you could have John of the Cross as a spiritual director, that he would, he just wouldn't start out in some place way up here, somewhere. He'd he'd want to talk to you first. He'd want to join you first. He'd want to meet you first. So in the encounter, the two of you together would help you to see how this operative, transformative work of love, uh, of the dark night, is present in your life, and the ways that you can be um, uh, faithful to it. So we'll end here on this.
Let's do a sit. I you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow.
we'll slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. Blessings till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.